You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Good morning and welcome back to Counterculture here on Reality Check Radio with Marie. Um, I've got a really special guest this morning and I'm really excited to talk to her, Frida Wallace, out of Manchester in the UK, writer and speaker. Good morning and welcome to Counterculture. How are you? Well, good morning. It's a bit strange saying good morning. It's like uh, 20 to 7 p.m. where I am, but uh, yeah, good morning. And it's nice to speak to you. It's great to speak to you. And when I was doing my research, in your bio, you said something that really stood out to me. It said trans people are often spoken about, but really spoken to. And I'd love to know, and this is why we're here. So tell me, who is Frida Wallace? Um, (laughs) Who's Frida Wallace? Well, how far back do you want to go? I mean, I I, I suppose I'll start from where I started speaking in the media, because like I said, I I, I listen to a lot of radio. I love radio. I love voices on the radio. I cannot sleep at night unless I'm listening to what we have radio for or the world service. And I listen to documentaries and I've been doing that since I was, I can remember even before it got called podcasts, because that's what it basically is now. But uh, I'd listen to conversations from people from all over the world. And, and that is, that is what I love. I love conversations. So I, I, I started to listen to more. And when I, when I came out as trans, I'd hear things about trans people, but it always felt like I was being talked about. Like I, I, there was never, there was very rarely somebody that had that experience of transitioning or identifying, or being gender incongruent, um, present in those debates. And, and increasingly over the last, I'd say, five or six years, the debate did, has become more toxic. It's become what I would call, I think, what is known as culture war issues, where there is the sense that there, there's a societal problem and people are looking for things to blame for perhaps things they feel personally. That you know, I think the, the whole world is changing in a way. The, the world is changing very fast at the moment. I think trans people have been caught up in what I would, could describe as a world transition almost. Like, like if, you, if you think about uh geopolitics at the moment it's very scary you know people are very insecure when people are insecure they tend to uh try and find a reason outside of themselves for why the world is so so you'll see especially on social media people get fed things that they don't necessarily sign up for you know there'll be like you know lots of things that they they get shown i think an image of trans people or pride celebrations or drag queens or we had this thing about drag queen story hour that kept coming up and i can see how people get angry at that i can see where that might wind people up and why you know why is this happening why is that happening and it's like it's, it's always been happening really it's just that it's been fed to you and through a very narrow filter so what's happening is people because people like clicks likes and shares those polemic issues are being amplified more than ever. So if you want to, there's a, there's a phrase within social media and uh, coding development, it's that angry people click more. Yeah. And angry people do click more. And advertisers, marketing people know that. And, and it's like, it's not that they're angry, it's just that they can be triggered. So like you'd see, you know, the in the recent adverts, I'm sure you've heard of Dylan Mulvaney. Yes. Oh, uh, look, you, I've, been, I've been covering um, what yeah. has happened there, yeah. Yeah, so the advertisers know what they're doing when they choose mm. somebody like divisive or, or that's going to cause a lot of heat and light on social media because that's where the conversation happens now. I, I can look at that and go, 
gosh, that that is intense. What Dylan Mulvaney has put themselves through to to be, you know, like I wouldn't say that I particularly like the style of Dylan Mulvaney, or the way um, that that he uses himself, herself, sorry, as um, an advertising thing. I think that can be both destructive and can lead to, you know, because we, we've we seen uh, the, the mental health of people decline who've been in those situations. So there's two, that, that was my initial thought about it. But then I thought, well, what the hell, you know, it's just a bit of fun really, isn't it? You know, if people like, because this was coming through TikTok mainly. And I got into TikTok and even, you know, I, I'm quite open-minded and, I, and I'm used to seeing a lot of drag stuff and things, but some of the things I was seeing on TikTok, I was thinking, because I've got a young nephew and I was thinking he was looking at it, I think, right, um, he's going to be asking me questions about this. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I thought, mm. well, you know, I can answer them questions, but maybe, maybe younger people who don't have supportive parents or open family, you know, people who can chat to each other openly, which is a lot of families, you know, and people get shamed for being different. If they're in that environment, perhaps they would gravitate to something like that rather than talk to the families. And that could that that's what I think that's where the conversation gets muddied. Mm. So so you actually pulled up so many great little threads that I want to pull on there. That was quite a long uh... No, but it, it's good. So just to, to sort of round this out. So you've got your own podcasts that so you yeah. discuss a lot of these issues from that different standpoint. And you've actually raised a number of the things that I've actually sort of looked at with some of the people that I've spoken to. And one of them was actually speed. You mentioned speed there in, in terms of how quickly things were. Now, I know yeah. a number of trans people, which I've known some for a very long time. And one of the things that they have often indicated to me, particularly those who transitioned decades ago, as opposed to those in the last decade, so in the last 10 years versus those in the last 20 or 30. And speed is actually one of the elements that they have brought up in the sense that when they went through their transition, it was a long process, a supportive process, both in physical and mental health. And it was one that was not undertaken quickly or without a large amount of reflection of is this the direction that we're wanting to go in so when mm -hmm. the decision was made and the journey embarked on there was a very very clear path for them in transition and mm. they are still happily living in their identities today however in recent years that's not quite been the case so what's your thoughts on that um so do you mean that there's been like a Things have sped up in the sense that more people are identifying as trans or... No, not more in terms of identification, but more identification and action. So another example is the house that I'm sitting in right now. I've purchased off a man who then transitioned to become a woman oh, in that okay. period of sale. And they went from coming out, identifying and having full surgical transition in a period mm. of less than a year. Mm, well, that's their personal choice. I mean, oh, abs absolutely. In, ter in terms absolutely. of, like, because I can always speak about the health system I know, which is the mm. NHS. Now, the NHS at the moment is broken. I mean, it, there are people on waiting lists to have all kinds of operations and things like that. And so, because unfortunately, trans comes under mental health. If you, when you come out, say you go to, if, when I went to my doctor several years ago and said, you know, I think I need some help. The first thing they do is send you to see a psychiatrist. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that, 
because I don't feel like it's a psych like a psychiatric issue in the sense that I need to be profiled. But you have to go through quite a long process if you in, if you're going through the NHS. Now, if I was private and I could afford all the things, and but but being trans doesn't necessarily need a medical pathway. I, identifying as who you are, and and living as you know the person you want to be is just a it's it's what you've always known really it's just when you have that confidence and there could be a trigger there could be something that happens and then you feel like you can like when I so for me it was quite strange because my transition was very long because when I, I my mum always said that I was very feminine and all this stuff and when I was little I always got picked on for being girly and all this kind of stuff boys are quite cruel I used to call me a sissy and stuff like that so that was always with me but when I, when I was when I started college um, I, I started to transition a bit, but I think I was just being more androgynous because I was trying to fight this sort of puberty I was going through, which I found incongruous. But um, I did that, but because there's a lot of social pressure and mm. honestly, the personal family reasons, I didn't transition. I kind of put it off. And it was only when I was like uh, about four or five years ago that I had a stable enough life where I felt like, yeah, I can do that. I can, I can be myself now. Because there's a lot of, you know, ups and downs. So that's my personal, I'm talking about myself there because I can only ever relate this to my experience because every trans person is going to have a different experience. So it's just, it just feels like, because it's very hard to define. And that's one of the problems a lot of people have because people will say, well, how do you know you're a woman? How do you know you're trans? How do you know you're not a boy? How do you know? But I, those were like, I don't know I'm a woman. I don't, I don't really know what, how to define that. I don't think that's a simple thing to define. I don't mm. walk into rooms and go, I'm a woman. I don't think any woman does. It's no. just uh, there's this word woman that exists. And it's like, I always say, you know, when, because that comes up a lot, that question of what is a woman? Well, that's a very, very deep question. That's a philosophical question. Now, you could say a woman is just an adult human female, which is a lot what a lot of the gender critical people will say. But within that phrase, adult human female, I think they miss the human bit quite a bit because we don't just who we are as human beings is is quite complex, isn't it? Because I always think about the way we relate to each other. It's not you, your identity just doesn't. It, it isn't just transmitted. It's also things you receive throughout your life. So you're affirmed in certain ways. I mean, I've got an older sister and I remember seeing the way her needs were met and how she was affirmed and how she was. And I, I preferred that. And I said to my mum, I want to be like my sister. And what I meant was I liked the way that her needs were met. Now, I can't really define that. I don't know how she feels about being a woman. I said to my sister, well, what does that feel like? But she doesn't know. If I asked my sister, what is a woman? Because she's not involved in this debate. She doesn't understand that there's this old debate going on about trans issues. She'll just say, well, I just feel like who I am. Mm. And that's enough. And that's that's it, really. So, so when people try to define what trans is, I find that very difficult. Because trans really just comes out of medical language. It's mm. not really an identity in the same way people say cis, meaning not trans. Nobody, nobody says that in real life. They just see it. It just exists in scientific and medical text. So does the prefix trans. But trans is used more often because obviously we are the outlier. So it makes more sense to use that to define that difference. Mm. Oh, yeah. What was the question again? No, you haven't gone off on a tangent at all. Because I like the fact that you've actually brought it back to, mm. as you said, the human. 
the you, mm. the, the Frida. And yeah. actually, it's interesting you say that. No one uses the term cis. But one of the questions I've written down here is, do you feel that trans people within this cultural war have actually been used as a pawn in a much bigger game? In terms of the word of the use cis, the reason I ask this mm. is that I have seen politicians in this country who have been very negative towards those on the conservative side of the culture war, uh, saying, oh, well, you're just a cis white male or a cis white female. Mm. And they're actually using that negatively against them. And they themselves are Mm -hmm. are cis. And it's like, well, hold on a minute. Do you have a dog in this fight? Yeah, I understand that because I have seen this thing where uh, politicians will be up on a podium and they're starting to be asked like, can women have penises? And I'm like, why the hell is this happening? You know, what what a ridiculous question to ask a politician. But the reason they do that is because it's a it's what you call a barometer issue. So you can tell somebody's character by the way they respond to something like that. Now, a politician should be saying, that's a stupid question, be quiet. But they can never do that because they'll think, oh, I can't offend trans people. I've got to say something vague and uh, that encompasses everybody. So, so yeah, I do think there is that trans, trans, trans people, not necessarily, but the trans issue is being used as a pawn because it can drag people over fences when you when you're asking for votes. So you'll see this kind of thing come up when they'll talk about, oh, you just can't say anything anymore. It's, you can offend anybody so easily. I just, you know, and it's like this free. It becomes like an issue around free speech then, and people get very nervous about that because I don't. I, me me being who I am doesn't shut anybody's free speech down. But if if you are somebody that it, it feels that you, it's it that that I'm trying to describe what it's like, but when people complain about not having free speech, I think it's in their conscience, I think it's in their mind, because they, they genuinely don't want to offend anybody, but then they get very angry, the fact that oh, somebody's telling me what to think, but nobody's really telling you what to think. It's just that life is sometimes more complicated than you first thought. So these things go, it's like you were saying about being a men, uh, say, oh, you're a white cis male, but it's that idea of privilege. I don't know what it's like in New Zealand necessarily, but you've got like an indigenous culture. And I think it feels sometimes like white women have more privilege than say a gay, a lesbian, which is probably true in a, in a, in a, a societal sense, because you know, you, you people have to fight for rights more, but it doesn't mean that um, privilege is just you're just born into it necessarily. So it's it is complex. That's why feminism is intersectional because, like, when you look at second wave feminism, they recognise that the the women who were prominent voices got there because they were linked linked to politicians or they were linked to powerful men or they were linked to powerful institutions. So the women that did get named and written about were there, not just because of, of uh, some achievement, but it was made easier for them because of their social class. Now, I think that that's what the same thing with any, any uh, minority group. But I know trans women that are very well off, you know, like you said, could just go and, you know, have all sorts of beauty treatments, have uh, lip fillers, have cheek implants, have beautiful hair, because they can afford to do that. It doesn't make them any more trans, but it's the same for any woman. I mean, those aesthetics are not exclusive to being male or female, because obviously um, it's to do with privilege. So say, if I could afford it, yeah, I probably would, you know, wear, get my hair extensions done every 
every month and stuff like that. And but then I'm leaning into some idea of a woman. So that's why that's why I was saying a bit intersectional. So I think I've I have gone off on a bit of a tangent. No. There, well, but, then, so my uh, thought on that, right, is that if you look at and you brought up class, so you look up at those old traditional class systems, and I mean in the United Kingdom, those have been well and long established over you know centuries. Mm. Now, with uh, if you look at it from a cultural war lens, it's broken down from class into identities and power structures. Mm. Yeah. Those who would like to move forward within that, like to use that, have gone and I think propelled trans people to um, higher up that totem. And I wonder, so some that I speak to are not happy about that. They feel used. They feel like mm. that they, as a, that's why I bring the question of the porn, they feel that they have been used in a battle between those um, who... Uh, sit on the neo-Marxist, postmodernist side of the fence versus those that sit on the more conservative side of the fence, and th and that's yeah. not really useful for anybody. Well, that that tells me that being trans isn't the cause or effect of anything or how people feel. So, I know very conservative trans women, and I know very what you call leftist, um, you know, uh, libertarian. And whatever the trans people can exist on all those political spectrums. Being being trans doesn't necessarily. But what 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 I'd noticed about that was that um, say you know you said you, you mentioned postmodernism there and like Marx, but that they are not really that. When you say that, that's like the breakdown of uh, what what used to be very solid ideas of male and female. That's not always been the case. I mean. It, I, I think it comes out of uh, mid 20th century. I like, like I say, I, I always think about this in a sense that in the post-war period in America, it was the housewife and that role was really heavily pushed because it was post-war recovery strategy. So you had the Betty Crocker thing, you know, the whole thing about the woman being the industrious housewife and, and what, and, and there's that famous poster with the, you know, um, the Riveter where she's like mm -hmm. that. Rosie that the Riveter. And that disappears back into being the housewife. And it's it's, it's almost all, all, just after the war that happens. So so we're, when well, you feminism talk about post... was Feminism grew out of that, what, really, yeah. because that was those baby boomers that were born after yeah. the war yeah. that suddenly heard these stories of how strong and incredible their mothers were, and then all of a sudden they exactly, let that yeah. go and, and fell back into stereotypical roles. Mm. But those feminists of which I've, I've read uh, from that, period they trans wasn't really on their radar because it was always a, a fringe issue because it, it seems to be in recent years it's become a bigger issue and and then when i look at the history of it because i've looked at drag and i've looked at the first sort of you know it, it trans was kind of hidden it wasn't like these like it is now you had like transvestites drag queens what they would call street queens in America, you know, that, that that was all part of a gay scene and a queer scene. But with the trans thing, I think that what I always think, I, I, I notice as well, because a lot of it seems to, to have been under the radar for a long time. And now people are more open, people are more able to talk to each other online. I think the internet is a big, a big game changer because where people would have been just felt isolated and probably, had, you know, if you have to go to the library to buy a book about, uh, to look at a book about something, you're probably not going to go. So <laughs> if if um, you can just look something up online and you can meet like-minded people very quickly, 
then scenes grow. And I think that's, it's not that it's never, it's always been there, but it's just more visible. And that, that exponential change. And I think obviously with younger people, that, that worries people, especially parents who are quite conservative when they, they notice children, uh, you know, with the, this uh, children identifying as non-binary. I think that bothers people because that seems new. But I don't, I don't know if it is really. I just think people have always, there's always been people who are gender incongruent and kind of androgynous. It's just that it's got a different name now. Well, and, and also to a lot, a lot of that gets identified at a time through those teenage years. And I don't know about your 15-year-old self, but my 15-year-old self didn't know whether she was coming or going and up or, yeah. or down. So, you know, that is definitely yeah. a time where you're trying to figure a lot of stuff out. My, my attitude to that is, okay, if, if I was a teacher or something like that and a child said to me, uh, I'm, I think I might be trans or I think I might be non-binary, I said, well, let's, let's read about it. You know, let's, I think the worst thing you can do with children is say, well, nah, forget about that. You, you, that's nothing. You know, you, you're making things up. I think that's not going to help anyone. That'll make them look for it in other places because children are generally naturally curious. So, um. Because, I mean, I, I do a bit of work with a charity in Manchester, the LGBT Foundation. There's quite a lot of younger people go there. And I feel really old. I feel like I'm, I'm 40. Odd now, I'm going to tell you exactly. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm in my 50s, darling. So, you know, you're <laughs> I feel really old. I feel really old and out of touch. Because I get told off by them for saying the wrong thing. And because, because uh, you know, I get the he, she thing wrong quite a lot. And it's not because I'm being rude. It's just because I, I, you know, and, and, and some of them will say, oh, I'm they. Which is fine. I'm not a problem with that. But I feel like... Um, I, I'm happy to be called out, though. I like it when they have that confidence to say, because if somebody has the confidence to do that, I think that's to be respected. And um, But I don't think it's anything new. I just think it's more visible now because, mm. like I said, it's like if, you, if you've spent enough time on Twitter, you're probably going to encounter things that you find incongruent or annoying or whatever it is. But there's a... Um, there's this thing on Twitter where if you start to argue with people, it'll start showing you more things you don't like. <laughs> so that's how the algorithm works. And it's like that. It's the same on Instagram. It's the same on Facebook and all those things. But that goes back to your angry clicks. Yeah. So so there's this, yeah. there's this, there's this really angry bubble of things going on. And, and it, 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 yeah, I do find myself in the crossfire of it, mm. but I don't think, I don't think it's new. I just think it's more visible. I just think it's more, and people, when people, when people feel like I, I, I often say to people who are getting angry on the internet, I said, you know what? Not everything in the world is for you. It's like shouting at the telly because you don't like the program. Turn it off. <laughs> Put something else on. So you know? see, I find that really refreshing to hear from you because if you were somebody, because of course I just, I speak to a lot of people that sort of on the more conservative side of defense. And there is that argument of, they don't allow me to be me and them to be them. Well, you've just mm. literally said that. I've always been very much of the opinion, if I don't like something, I've had to dive back into Twitter for mm. this job. But if I don't like something, yeah. I'm like, oh, you would have, I scroll on. I'm very big with the scrolly on, but a lot of yeah. people get stuck on that and they won't do that I and they get caught up in I this think cycle. I think it's quite addictive though. I think, I think people like to be angry. It's not that they like to be angry. It's like there's a sort of endorphin rush in yeah. it. Because I do the same thing. I found myself arguing with people for hours. It's not that I'm trying to be nasty. It's just I enjoy it. I enjoy. I have this theory. I don't know if it's. A, it's just like when you're arguing with somebody online, you're actually arguing with yourself in a mirror. 
because you, you're, you're trying to flesh out your own argument because because this person's anonymous you've never met them you don't know who they are and it feels like you're, you're you're actually having the argument with yourself so you don't like your doubting self and you you also like your ego so though your doubting self and your ego are having a fight over the internet with with and using somebody as that as that uh, lightning rod so that's why people who are trans follow anti-trans people and that's why people who are anti-trans follow me because they they want to they want to flesh out that idea but obviously some people are just nasty and abusive so most of the time i just block those mostly men actually and then they come into my dms asking me if you know i send them some pictures well that's another story but um there's a, and there is a sexual dimension to that it's like like when they when you argue and especially when i'm arguing with a guy and he it, it gets quite personal and i'm thinking gosh i feel like i've is he is he trying to like come on to me or what? You know, it feels a bit like that, you know. So and I and that has happened where where I've just had to pull myself back from and because because nobody's going to win. Nobody's going to turn around and go. Do you know what? I think you were right after all. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So you're just going to end up in a click hole. Yeah, so. and, and see, because I've written here just one of the. It's just a statement I've just written: conciliatory versus confrontational, and and it's almost like that we've gotten into the spiral, and unfortunately, yeah. social media is mm. uh, not very good for the conciliatory oh, and is very very no. confrontational. I mean, a lot of people I speak to have actually moved themselves off social media altogether, especially Twitter or X. I know it's changed its name now. I keep forgetting to call it. Twitter's had a transition. <laughs> we have to respect its new name, <laughs> and I never do. But um, yes, X. And and I think it's become more and more toxic because, um, like I said, the, the value of it depends on people interacting with it. So you get people going and a lot of the big accounts on there, like um, the big, I would say, um, the people that have made money out of being anti-trans, I'm not going to mention anybody's name, but there are people that have got quite a big following. And I think it's all to do with a kind of circus act, really. Do you remember the American guy, Alex Jones? Yeah, yeah I, used to, I, used to, I used to watch him because it was, I didn't, I just found it really entertaining and I just like that that's why I go in for that kind of stuff because I mean it, it was just quite funny to watch him but it, it, I mean he's an he's a very extreme example of what I'm talking about but mm. there are there are when people follow um what I would call culture war uh, polemics or polemicists it's because they do get some endorphin rush from arguing with it and and I think that's what's happened. And there are serious journalists on there, obviously. That see, I do follow a lot of journalism and a lot of writers who, you know, in the UK who are sort of on the fringes now. Everything seems very like the Daily Mail. Everything feels like that now. Like everything's a bit mm. of a sensationalist thing. So I mean, I don't know if that it, answers your question. No, it's no, it's <laughs> but, because because obviously. I mean, I come from from a cultural war perspective, and mm. I've said this before. You know, I, I the only reason I got dragged into this is that literally someone came in and shat in my nest, mm. and because up until that point, I was living my life and and running my businesses and doing what I do every day. For me, the culture war stuff felt that was over there, mm. and I didn't feel that I had a dog on the fire. I mean, I'm all yeah. about being, I'm all about the individual and being respectful for the person and. So from my perspective, I really, I brought everyone together on the basis of craft. So I didn't care 
how you identified, how you lead, led your life, what colour you were. If you wanted to turn up and uh, turn string into something really fabulous using pointy sticks, <laughs> yeah. I'm your gal. And yeah. when someone said to me, no, you can't do that, knitting is political, mm. and it got very nasty very quickly, I tolerated it for a while. And so for why, me, was, why, is, why is knitting political? <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother day but okay. it's um there was that shift and you probably felt it in the in the culture yourself it was sort of around that what I call that Brexity Trumpy time you oh, know yeah, there, yeah. there was that really sort of it's almost like a ripple in the force within mm. the culture at that time and all of a sudden what you believed or what side you were on politically all of a sudden mattered about it spilled yeah. over into other parts yeah, of your very life. Divisive, yeah. yeah. I was in, in, completely androgynous about all of those issues. I mean, I couldn't mm. understand why a Brexit or a Trump issue should affect me as a knitter in New Zealand. Mm. But anyway, it's not about me, darling. It's about you. Uh, was, How did you uh, find that time? Well, I remember that there's always been um, it within British politics – a kind of insecure idea of what Britain is like this, the, Brit, Brit, England, especially within itself uh, as part of the UK has a problem with its identity and people that fly the flag. I think for a long time, they were made to feel, well, no, don't fly the flag. It's embarrassing. You know, it, you don't need to celebrate, you know, and the reason for that was because Britain's a colony, you know, it's, it pretty much took over most of the bloody world. Well, that's the reason New Zealand is New Zealand is because of the British empire. So there was this kind of like, oh, well, we don't need to stand with waving with flags, but increasingly, I don't know why, but Britain got very insecure about its identity and it, maybe it always has been under the surface, but people that were very, what we would call right wing, started to get louder and we had the you know i'm sure you've heard of nigel farage mm -hmm. and 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 they became important to the people because they were saying something that the other politicians were not because they were speaking to that primal idea of a british identity and now i don't know why it happened quite at the time it did but the, the brexit vote was like the the confluence of a lot of issues and this is where it comes back to the trans thing, because for when when the people that were pushing for Brexit, I don't think they thought the British public were actually going to leave the European Union. I just don't think because they didn't have a plan. They didn't know what was going to happen. They just knew. And they were sending out these messages like make Britain. It wasn't make Britain great again or anything, but I think it was something like, oh, build back better. Or they had all these phrases. I'm trying to think of what the one was now. It was like um, similar phrases to that, where they were very simple and they were uh, take back control. That was it. So take back control. They thought the British people, I thought that, I think that they meant that was their whole lives, take back control of our lives. And it became an emigration issue. Now, even that there's more emigration now in the UK than there was at the time of Brexit. So there's nothing's changed there. And, but the reason trans issues became involved in that is because to, for Boris Johnson to get a lot of his Brexit um, things over the line. He had to get people in the government who were who would who would basically just agree with everything he said, and that made that makes for a very right wing government. And the people that are in power now are still we're still in the sort of hangover of that time. So they, they they're actively going into the media now and and making these divisive because because they, they knew they could do it with Brexit. They knew they could. Uh, divide people quite easily through lobbying 
of on immigration, like these, these invasion narratives. And, and they do that with the trans issue. It's, it's almost identical the way it works. So you'll have, you've got lobby groups in, in the UK, like Sex Matters, that say they campaign for the, um, you know, the, the definition of sex. So, so it's not gender, it's sex. But really, it, 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 it doesn't matter if you call it sex or gender or what. People are just going to be who they are. But the way they work is they they have a set, like I, I call it a repertoire of arguments. So they'll use trans trans prisoners, trans women in prison, trans women in sports, trans women in single sex spaces, and all these things, which are all you know we can all say we can have a debate about those issues. But they make it feel to people like there's this invading force, this this threat, which there isn't. There's no threat. You know, it's the, the there's it's no there's not even a big issue. It never was before. It won't be again. It's just become like this because there's a lot of money sloshing around for lobby groups, and that's what that's part of my research. So then that's the interest. Okay, so let's tease that out a little bit. The money sloshing around from for lobby groups. Uh, there appears to be a lot of money sloshing around on both sides. So if there's a lot of money sloshing around, what is the benefit? Who who benefits from that money, and why well, would they spend that money to begin with? Well, the, there isn't a lot of money on both sides. The, the money is tends to come from uh, people that have vested interest in, you know, getting their getting their party or whatever they want voted for. So they like in in Scotland recently, you had the vote on gender self ID, which sounds like uh, gender recognition. So what that would do. Is it would make it would it would remove the medical pathway which I talked about before. So say now at the moment I have to go to a doctor, and I have to be under the doctor for two years before they would consider me for any medication or hormone treatment or anything like that. With self ID, you just identify and that's it. You don't need to go down a medical pathway to to be to have a gender recognition certificate. So that's the difference, and people find that threatening because it they think it changes. You know how it doesn't really change anything it does it, it it's like a perceptive change of gender being fluid which it is anyway but they the way they the way that they um influence that vote is by going into the media with these stories about trans rapists trans killers trans murderers anything to do with trans that's negative and it just gets pushed into the media all the time there's a there's a group called the free speech union and they do a lot of these, uh, they fund vexatious court cases that say, like Mayor Forstarter's case. I don't think they funded that, but it was this idea that somebody was sacked from their job for saying that sex is real. That's nobody's, been, nobody's ever been sacked from a job for saying sex is real. Nobody's ever been sacked from a job for saying that um, trans women are men or whatever. What, what happens is these cases are, get promoted into the media so it becomes a story so it's like oh um there's a, there's a problem that there needs to be solved but there, is, there really isn't you know that's that's just a bit of a myth <laughs> so uh what what i've looked at is that there's there's a there's another group called the lgb alliance and they try to say that they care about the rights of lesbian gay bisexual and they don't think trans is part of that, but they don't actually do anything for the lesbian and gay bisexual community. They just exist to exclude trans people. And they'll they'll do the same thing where they'll get themselves into the media to talk about trans people as if they're a problem. And it just goes on like that, you know, to, to sway that vote, to stop progression, you know, of, of human rights, basically. 
So how do you fix it? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, it, that comes down to how people are educated. But I've, I've tried to fix it myself by going into the media. That's why I do this. You know, I've, I've been on uh, Talk TV in, in the UK and GB News. And I just try and get in the way of that conversation because obviously sometimes they'll ring me up and say, we're talking about, um, they'll say children identifying as trans in school. So I know the subject they really want to talk about is bogus. There's probably been no issue. There's probably not even been a single child to make that story. But so I'll, so I just go and say, why are you talking about this now? Who does it benefit? You know, what is the reason you're actually talking about this? And it's because they, they there'll be a lobby group behind that story that's funded it into the Daily Mail or something like that. So that's I'm just there to challenge that. Um, but I don't know. If, I mean, uh, I think I. I don't know if it's like it's too simplistic to say it's certain groups or it's certain people. It's just that I think society leans this way and that. It might lean more right wing sometimes and more left wing other times. And it might benefit more people to pursue a more right wing agenda sometimes and a more left wing agenda at others. There's no like game to be won. It's just like the culture breeds in and out. And, you know, we hope that society becomes more inclusive and more understanding of people that are different because it's never you know I, I I don't really care about whether people think I'm a man or a woman or not I don't really care if people understand that I'm trans what I care about is young people being spat on on public transport for looking different that shouldn't be happening and when you and if you promote a certain idea into the media that trans people are a problem then that's going to happen people are going to get hurt now there's always going to be people in society that don't like us. They just don't accept trans people. Just don't like it. That's fine. You, you don't have to like everything. But what I don't like is when other people try and convince others that we are a problem and they spend money to try and convince others that we're a problem. That's dangerous because they won't stop there. It's incremental because if you're tolerant of, intolerant of me, the chances are you'll be intolerant of another type of person. So when... I mean, a few years back, it was all about gay marriage and people talked a lot about that. And there were debates in Parliament. It was all over the papers. It's, a, you know, it's, it's all about the sanctity of marriage and all this. And it ruins the institution. And we had all these debates and it's the same thing now. But that the, the gay marriage thing got over the line. So it's like, well, did it affect anybody? Is anybody bothered? No, people just got on with their lives. And um so yeah, I've noticed these um, subjects coming into the papers because you'll get. I, so I, my mom gets the Daily Mail, so my mom's eighty-five, so she's of certain generation. So I look at the paper where they're like, oh god, they're all go they're going on about pronouns again, and I and I think it's really funny because she'll say, oh well, you, somebody got in trouble for saying the wrong pronouns, and no, no, they didn't. It's just it's just a daft story, but it's like. It, People do respect people. If if some like when I go when I go shopping when I'm in my daily life, I just get on with people. Do you know what I mean? I'm not I'm not there to make anybody feel uncomfortable. But um, I've had people say to me, you know, when I've been out, and they they genuinely are curious. If somebody asks me about how it feels being trans, like when I've been at work and I've had conversations with people at work, people are just generally. If it's good faith, if somebody wants to ask me what so, it feels like. So you've just identified an observation that I've had. And my observation is, is that it's not the, the trans person that's the issue. It's the trans ally. Mm. What are your thoughts on that, of overzealous allies? Mm, yeah, you do get that. People do try and, I, I think, I think the, pro the thing with that is I always find that 
when somebody is like that, it's because they know somebody who's trans and they've seen them upset and they've seen them hurting and they think, I've got to do something about that. But really, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> you know, you're not going to change anybody's mind by, you know, wading into uh, debates. But I think, I mean, that's that's a very online thing I noticed. Because, um, like, when I've 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 looked, I'm in my in my writing, I do a blog and I go to trans pride marches, but I also go to marches on the other side of that spectrum like i've been to posey parker kelly j Keane's meetings and stood on the peripheries and done my little protests but i've actually spoken to people that go to those things and they just they just feel like they're part of a little club i don't know if it like because i was in a pub with some of them in dublin and it felt to me like i don't know if you've ever felt like this but you know if you if you're in a pub and and there's a football game but you're wearing the wrong colors <laughs> that's what it felt like i felt like that was it really but as you said you were able to have a conversation and you were there so i spoke to somebody um a couple of weeks ago who is one of my regulars and she is someone that has really concerns about gender critical uh, education in schools and from what mm-hmm. she's seeing. Now, bearing in mind that we are coming from a position that we've had a very, very progressive government here in the last six years. Mm-hmm. So everything that you've spoken about that in your observations in the UK, you, we've got the inverse going on here. Okay, right, right. But the mechanisms, it's, I'm interested in the mechanisms. So... She was uh, was at a rally, a local um, Māori rally, actually, and it was called Mana Wahine Kōrero, was doing, which means stand up for women in Māori. And so these were Māori women who had arranged a meeting in the outside parliament, and there were trans people on the fringes. And the, this woman, she said one of the things that she enjoyed the most was the ability to be able to go over to them and chat to them. And she said, and this mm. is what's missing. She said, this is mm. what's missing is that ability to be able to talk one-on-one and actually have a really, really good conversation about stuff mm. and actually work on the commonalities and not the differences. Mm. Yeah, but there is a divide. It's very real. And I don't agree. I mean, it's okay to say, yeah, everybody plays sing Kumbaya. Like, it's not, that's not going to happen for some people. They're, they're, they're radicalised. There are people that are genuinely radicalised into a... The the uh, what we we'll call a gender critical, just to call it that. I mean, I don't particularly think it's gender critical, but they call it that. Um, there are people in that movement who are genuinely think that there are trans people trying to turn their children trans. They genuinely think that trans people are sexual predators because I get that on social media. I've been called that by quite prominent people, people who are quite well known in that movement now. The reason they do that is because it's the simplest way to demonize somebody. Because if you, that's the worst thing somebody could possibly be, isn't it? A sexual predator. So that is repeated. The word groomer comes up a lot. And that is, that is almost, on, on social media now, it's, it's almost casually spoken. Now, that wouldn't have happened a few years ago. But it did happen to gay men. It did happen to drag queens. It did happen to that culture a few years ago. But it's happening to trans people now because they see us as part of that same thing. Not everybody who says they're gender critical are that abusive, but it's an incremental scale. And I think some people are very easily radicalized. Now, for some of them, it might be a sense of belonging to something because I noticed that during the COVID period, there were people being radicalized into groups against 
the government in, in various ways. And I think once that passed, there was still that energy. It still existed. So it was like, oh, the you know, they didn't trust government and they didn't trust a lot of, because there was a lot of nonsense around COVID. There was a lot, a lot of rubbish, a lot. Nobody knew what the hell was going on. It, it destroyed confidence in power and government. And also added to that, you had that medicalization um, threat and, and fear. So, so, and that is part of being trans, you know, you go down this medical pathway. So people have come, come confused those two things to think that there's a gov- the government is turning people trans. Like the government want people to be trans in a way to sort of destabilize society, which is absolutely insane. But they actually do believe that. They actually do believe that there are lobby groups that exist to promote trans identity. They call it trans ideology. And they think that's real. They think that the government and that certain people in power are trying to turn men into women because they, they want to feminize or, or demasculate society. Now, that is a that sounds absolutely insane to me that somebody would believe that, but I can I can understand why somebody might believe that because I can see the incremental changes that have happened over the last few years due to COVID and we mentioned Brexit and the destabilization in geopolitics. These all things come together to create like a perfect storm. And unfortunately, trans people have become the, one of the focal points of it. Because we, we, when we put questions in people's minds about fundamentals, about what it means to be a man or a woman, it's, it's very fundamental to what we are as human beings. So if people start to question that, or perhaps they've always, always questioned it, but because I'm very visibly questioning it, it, it seems threatening. And uh, it's obviously that some people react very aggressively to that. And and if we if we react aggressively back, it's like confirming everything they thought. Say, oh, this these trans trans rights activists, they want to destroy our lives, <laughs> you know. And it's, it becomes real. It's sort of a self fulfilling prophecy. So, yeah, it's pretty scary. No, no, so you well, it is because in this country, of course, in March we had exactly that. Mm. So we had. Kelly J. Kane come and speak, and I will be the first to admit she can be very divisive. Yeah. But the reaction, and also to hear the media coverage of that reaction. Mm-hmm. So we had a media that were largely saying, oh, no, it was a day of the counter-protest was a day of trans joy, and it was mostly peaceful and the like, whereas the footage told a completely different story. Mm. You've got to be careful with footage. I mean, footage can be made to make, you know, I, what I will say about that, because I interviewed Ali Rabushkin. I'm sure you know who Ali Rabushkin mm-hmm. is. And she has, you know, I don't, I, first of all, I don't condone throwing soup on people or juice, whatever it was. I don't condone that. But if you're somebody like Kelly J. Keene, who's willing to travel 15,000 miles to set up a rally she can't control, she doesn't have the security for, 2,000 people turn up. If I was her, I'd call it off. But well, she so, didn't call it. So here's the thing, yeah, there's, but there's, so I've, because of course I've interviewed people on the other side of that fence. I mean, that rally was set up and designed to fail. So yeah. it was yeah. set up. Well, she, everywhere and, and, everywhere and, Kelly goes, she fails. Well, but I don't actually sit that on on her shoulders. It was set up and designed to fail by a number of people involved in that, including the New Zealand police, and we have OIAs to yeah. back that up. 
Well, you, you probably um, know more about that than yeah, me. Yeah. So, but what? But this thing is, is it's what we you were just talking about. It's those optics, and so those optics for a normie. And what I discovered is that I mm. had normies who were completely people just the go along to get alongs who. If they were to meet you out at the supermarket or the pub, you know, like, mm-hmm. good day, Frida. Oh, what's your name, Frida? Nice to meet you, Frida. What do you do? Oh, I, I don't know what you do for a day job. I do blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, blah. Yeah. Have you caught up with this? Or, you know, what's the weather doing? They wouldn't, there would be no, they wouldn't be looking at Frida, the trans woman, Frida, the activist, Frida, the writer. Frida. They'd just be looking at Frida. Yeah. And all of a sudden, that event, that nexus, woke a lot of those people up and then, they were forced to look at something that really they could just yeah. still continue to ignore. But then they yeah, well, it, were saying, well, that, is this, you know, it's, it's crea- created a poor optic. Yeah, I think it's good that they can't ignore it. I think there is something there that is worth examining. But what I what I saw happen, because I followed, I follow um, like the anti-trans stuff because I write about it. And Kelly J. Keene had been, or Posey Parker had been in Melbourne and, I think it was Melbourne where there were very extreme right-wing neo-Nazis turned out. And they tried to deny that they'd come for that, but they had a sign that said, destroy pedo freaks. Now, like I said before, one of the main um, things that they attack trans people with and gay people and drag queens is the cause groomers and pedophiles and sexual predators. Now, to see that on the streets of Melbourne is shocking. And 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 it happened because... And I don't know if it was directly because or there was something else going on, but it, it was just too coincidental for to, for you to divorce that from Kelly uh, Posey Parker's meeting in there. So by the time she gets to New Zealand, that news has reached all the anti-fascist people. Well, and, so and New, Zealand, it, it, New, Zealand, New Zealand has had, you know, we had the... You know, was there, was there was a shooting at a mosque. I can't remember the exact date of that, but March fifteen. Yeah, and that, that there is a there is a very right wing sentiment, and and that, I don't yes, know where. But, it comes so from. okay, I'm going to push back a little bit on that. Firstly, uh, El Nor Mosque. It was an Australian that came over and did that. So it was right. no, 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 I was, I was, um, yeah. Secondly, on that is that the New Zealand. I mean, I'm quite critical of how the New Zealand media portrayed Kelly J. Keane before she came to New Zealand. Now, again, I'm I'm actually very ambivalent on her. I find her actually a little bit too abrasive for me personally. Uh, so, I mean, I'm neither there nor here nor there as far as she's concerned. But mm. what I was very observant on was how the media, in this country especially, mm-hmm. they, for me, were actually part of the problem in terms of the violence. They They set up the premise for that mm. violence in Albert Park in March. They I very think... much laid, laid it laid it down because ultimately when it comes to a protest, you can't stop other groups hitching their wagon to your um to your your cart, right? They you can't do that. I mean, on mm. the on the converse, you couldn't help it if you had other radical activists at a pro-trans rally that you actually that Push that, like if someone all wearing black and Antifa turned up with black umbrellas and face masks and were there pushing their barrow, when you're there trying to actually mm. have a positive pro trans march, you can't stop mm. them turning up and doing that. And it's the same with those neo Nazis. But mm-hmm. the media have that full confluence, and they, and for them, 
they're doing it because they're wanting the clicks, aren't they? They're doing it because they're wanting the clicks, they're wanting the viewership, and and the people about it that are becoming the pawns in their game. Yeah, that's true about the clicks again. But but I think what what they were reporting was basically what happened. Like in in the UK, any reporting of Posey Parker had been very biased. I mean, she only she only seemed to appear on what I would call right wing networks. So. Uh, GB News, Talk TV, and she never was never challenged. She's there to just set out her stall. She's not there to be challenged because I was supposed to be on a show with her once and she declined because she knew I was going to be there. So she doesn't want to be challenged ever. So when I saw the news in Australia, I thought this is refreshing because what they're actually doing is saying what I've been saying because it's not, it wasn't a one instance. It wasn't a one-off that neo-Nazis turned up. I've been looking at the people that follow her and I've been looking at the groups that had been interested in a movement, and they're not a libertarian movement. They're a very narrow kind of authoritarian movement. And I think women are being recruited into I would call what I would call authoritarian ideas because it's that she says she's standing for women, but she's not a feminist. She's not followed by feminist women who who understand systemic, institutional, and structural misogyny. Because there's no challenge to that. That's why she's on these media programs in the UK, because she doesn't challenge any any of those uh, systems. She just upholds them in a way. Mm. So when I saw the news in Australia, I thought, this is interesting, because this is the first time she's being challenged. This is the first time that media is actually reporting what actually happened. Now, she couldn't handle it, because when, when what happened in Albert Park was like, the apotheosis really of everything that she'd been on that tour and it had built up. She'd been all around the world. She'd been to America. She'd been all the way around the UK. She goes around mainly it's, it seems to be like a colonial tour. She'll go to, you know, Australia, New Zealand, America. And, and uh, there are far right groups that support her. We, they had the proud boys in America would turn out for her. And in Australia, you had the neo-Nazis. Yeah, I can definitely say that that was not the case in Albert Park. I mean, in Albert Park, that group were outnumbered dramatically. Mm. Oh, yeah, because that, that, was, that was a level of anger that those trans people and trans allies and people that support libertarian and freedom, and that's that's what they support. They don't want a lady coming all that way from England to shout that she doesn't, because she doesn't, she's... I've watched her, her, her um, rallies. She'll shout things like women don't have penises repeatedly and she'll get people to stand up and talk about groomers and paedophiles and link trans people to that. That's what they do. That's that's how, that's how there's no positive message. There's no prizes for women at the end of that. All it is is this constant, you know, negative energy towards LGBTQ, anything like that. It, it just, that's it. That's all I can see. So when I saw the... Australian press and then the New Zealand press actually reporting correctly. I think that was that's mm. what they did. You know, now you could say that they inf inflamed tensions, but the tension was already there. I think, and and what with, with and what happened with Ali Rabushkin, that for her that was like, I mean, I don't know if you know anything about Ali, but she just she was a refugee you know she was made stateless and she didn't have an identity and it was only new zealand that would let her in because she had no gender on a certificate she had no paperwork and she was i think she identifies it intersexed so she she thought this was a direct threat to her you know life almost i know it sounds cat 
like I'm catastrophizing, but for somebody like Ali, that's and uh, like I said, I don't endorse what she did. I don't think it was a wise move, but I think it happened because it was the culmination of a lot of things that have been building up, and she and Posey Parker invites that she did she she part of her work is about the the counter protest because it it's they could she can then say well, look at these trans rights activists who want to shut me down that's part of it it's agitating the left that's always happened so um while, while it's true that I could, you could say that the press did agitate but i think they actually told the truth about what was going on and uh, now if 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 posey parker has any positive message or anything i think she 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 definitely speaks to something about the way women feel about their identities, but it's not trans people's fault. You know, we we didn't do that. That's a misogyny. That's a societal problem. And rather than work it out, because I mean, obviously, Posey Parker has a deep pathological repulsion to trans women. That's all I can sense from that, and I don't know why, but that's how she feels. Mm. Like, nobody's ever going to change that. No. So then it comes back to allowing people to work it out and make up their own minds. So, which is why I wanted to have you on so we could have a conversation like this. You know, it's good to be able mm. to sort of flesh things out. Now, I, I haven't, I mean, I don't agree with everything that you have to say, but nor do I need to. I love the fact that we can talk about it and we can, you know, you've given me some food for thought and things that I want to, you know, look into further. And um, I'm certainly going to be listening to some of your podcasts that, you know, that, that will fascinate okay. me greatly. Um, so, on, one with Ali. And that, yeah, you know, yeah, def- that was exactly the one in mind. So, for our listeners, and they're thinking, okay, Rita sparked something now. I want to to go off and do a bit of investigation. Where did they find your content, Rita? Well, if you go on to gendernebulous.co.uk, that's my where uh, I do the uh, podcast with my friend Vicky Hodges, and that's where mo- that's where all the podcasts are, and there's some other media stuff on there, and our links to our personal pages, and I'm on Twitter. As uh, Miss Frida Wallace, so there you go. But take, uh, I just, I've got to say, take what I say on Twitter with a pinch of salt because I'm a bit of a comedian on there. I do like to wind people up. And uh, are you a bit spicy on the X? Yeah, I am. Yeah, <laughs> but I, 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 I um, I get in trouble. I, I, I post kind of burlesque kind of fetish content as well. So, um, I just warn you. <laughs> it's nothing. It's nothing extreme, but you know. See, that's another conversation for another day. Hey, look, Frida, I really do appreciate you um, giving some time your in your evening and my morning this morning. It has been um, really enlightening. And thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. And remember, if you've got any feedback that you want or questions you want to ask about this morning's interview, info at realitycheck.radio is the email and 2057 is the text number. Thanks very much, Frida. I do very much appreciate it. You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Yeah, 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 yeah